Uh, in his uh, book called The Pastor, uh, Eugene Peterson, he writes about his experience of serving the local church. Uh, he was the pastor of a, a new church. It was a church plant that was initially established. At least they met on a Sunday uh, to begin within the basement of the house uh, that he and his family uh, were living in. At one point, he describes the local church in this way, which I think is a lovely description. An unlikely and unpromising group of people come into being as a people of God. It's a great way to describe the local church, isn't it? An unlikely and unpromising group. And as I look around this afternoon, it sounds a bit like us, doesn't it? Uh, maybe you think more highly of yourself than that, I'm not sure. Uh, if, for that local church that uh, Peterson was a, a part of, quite a lot happened for them in just a, a few years. That There were new believers added to their number. They completed a, a building project. They, they were united and motivated, engaged together in, in living for Christ and making him known. Uh, just three years in, they'd completed a, a building project. The surprise was, though, says Peterson, uh, a month or so after the, the dedication of this uh, new building, uh, worship attendance began to drop off. Uh, men and women who had been faithful, say, on a Sunday in, in worship, uh, from the beginning, they disappeared for three or four Sundays at a stretch. Men and women, he said, who had, had plunged into the, the business of planning and organising and inviting friends and, and neighbours, uh, they were finding other enthusiasms. And Peterson would make a phone call or, or he'd go and visit. And he, he'd say, I've been missing you. Uh, is there anything wrong? Uh, oh, No. There's nothing wrong, would, would come the reply in all of its varied forms. But as the conversation would go on, it, it would become clear there was a, well, there was a finding of other enthusiasms. A people who had been so engaged and, and so motivated in living out this grand salvation that we have in Christ, instead of worshipping the Lord together and urging each other on, in him, they were playing golf um, or they were giving their children every opportunity in their sport of choice. And what one person says, said to Peterson, he recalls, we're not quitting church. We still want you for a pastor, but don't expect us to be there every Sunday, at least while the fish are biting. And the wildflowers are in bloom. It's the drift, isn't it? The drift. Not an outright rejection of faith. Uh, of course, I'm still a believer, but a drifting away. Uh, a finding of other enthusiasms. And we know the drift, don't we, from the fishing experience. I mean, half of you don't fish, but you can picture it. I mean, I don't fish either. Uh, but you're in the boat and there's the planned drift. It's a part of fishing, but there's the accidental drift as well. You're just not paying any attention. And eventually you look up, hopefully eventually you do look up and you look around 
and you realise that you're nowhere near where you actually should be. So as we look at this book of Hebrews, a book that starts like a sermon and ends like a letter with an unknown author and an un- uh, written to an unknown people, what is clear, it's written to stop the drift. To stop the drift. And you notice as we read Hebrews, you would have noticed as, as Steve read from chapter 1, it's really bedded in the Old Testament. Lots of quotes from the Psalms, lots of allusions to the Old Testament. I think the only other book in the Bible that refers to the Old Testament more is Revelation. And so there's this assumption that the original reader, they knew about Moses and Joshua and Aaron and the sacrificial system and more. And so it seems that the original reader had a Jewish background, Jews who were converted uh, to faith in Christ, and that the drift for them was a going back to the old, uh, back to the old covenant. It, the reason why we're looking at Hebrews uh, for the next 11 Sundays or, or so, at least one reason, there are many, is that I'm concerned about the drift. I wonder, has there been a a shifting of enthusiasm for you? Now, do, do you even know? Have you looked up to consider that? Peter Adams says, some slip away through the enticements of secular society, some through frustration with their churches, others through busyness or apathy. Whatever it happens to be, whatever the temptation for the drift might be for you, every newborn Christian has a tendency to drift, and so Hebrews is written for us. So the problem is the drift, yes, or the possibility of it, but what's the solution? You notice there's no pleasantries at the start of this book, no introduction uh, like in a, in a typical New Testament letter, no, no fluffing around with lots of words as, as I've done for the introduction of this talk. But our writer or our preacher, it's very sermon-like, just jumps in with verse 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And you rock up here on a Sunday afternoon, and what sort of a God is it that these people worship? Well, we worship a God who speaks. I'd believe if God spoke to me. Uh, If he made himself known, someone might say, I wish God would speak to me, someone feels. Well, he has, and he does. He's a speaking God. And you notice our author has a two-stage division of history on view in terms of God's revelation. Uh, Back then, in the past, God spoke in many and various, uh, as Jen said, like Elijah up on that mountaintop from 1 Kings 18 that we looked at last week. Uh, stage one, but in these last days, 
our writer, preacher, not many and various, through the prophets, but one and only by his son. That is Jesus. And so we say to each other, yes, we're in the last days, as the original reader was in the last days, the period that began with Jesus entering history and will end with his return. And what our writer preacher is saying, there is no more up-to-date message than what we have in God the Son himself. And so if you do want to get to know God, what do you do? You get to know Jesus. You look at Jesus. And we say this to our friends, don't we? You want to know God? Well, look with me at Jesus. But if the problem is the drift, there's a sense in which we may think or feel that Jesus isn't enough. And so Hebrews shows us that he is. So we could call this series, as we have called it, we give a name. Do you know this? Sometimes I take the time to name the series of talks in the book of the Bible that we look at. Hands up if you know that. A few people. Most of you are oblivious. Phil knows because he has to do the graphic. Can that go up on the screen? We name the, the series of talks. Hebrews, don't drift, draw near. And we could call it that, couldn't we? And if it comes up there, that's a good graphic, isn't it? It's catchy. He does a good job. So we could call it Don't Drift, Draw Near, Hebrews. Or we could call it the Supreme Son. Or the Majestic Son. Or the All-Sufficient Son. For that is what the book helps us to see and hear and think and feel. It's the antidote to the drift to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, you notice that our writer preacher just dives straight into this. The first four verses, if your Bible's in front of you, you notice the scope of how Jesus is described. Seven things in just four verses. From the second half of verse two, uh, the son whom God appointed heir, of all things. This is Jesus. Because Jesus is God the Son, He's also heir. Everything belongs to Him. And verse 2 again, if your Bible's in front of you, that the Son is also the one through whom God made the universe. That is, the Son is the agent of creation. Verse 3 the Son is the radiance of God's glory. F.F. Bruce says, just as the radiance of the sun reaches this earth, so in Christ the glorious light of God shines into the hearts of men and women. Verse 3 again, the sun is the exact representation of his being, God's being. You want to know God, you get to know Jesus. The character of God is made clear and open to us in him. And verse 3 again, The Son sustains all things by his powerful word. It's amazing, isn't it? Not only is he the agent of creation, but it's also through him that the Father upholds things in heaven and on earth. And again in verse 3 we read, after he provided purification for sins. So this this is the heir of all things, Jesus, 
the agent of creation, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God who sustains everything and who also personally works in history, in time and space, the son becomes a man, lives a perfect life and dies on the cross to win forgiveness for you and I, making us clean from our sins. It's amazing, isn't it? And finally, just, just in these first four verses, where's he sitting? After providing purification for sins, he sits at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, that's not the sort of place that just anyone can sit. I love this from Peter Adam. He says, the only real world, what's the real world that you're living in? The only real world is the one where Christ, the true representation of God, is the centre and purpose of creation, which he keeps together by his mighty power. It's the world, the only real world, it's the world in which he died for our forgiveness over which he rules and in which he offers us the power of the new covenant. It's amazing, isn't it? And this sort of introduction of the book will be developed as it progresses. But you see how ridiculous it is to drift away from him thinking or feeling that Jesus isn't enough, it would seem that the original reader, you noticed as it was read, maybe they were getting into the worship of angels, worshipping them, overtly interested in them. Uh, you may know the, the angels were associated with the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, the, the first covenant. And apparently in, in Jewish theology, angels had responsibility for for ruling various nations. In any case, our unknown author from verse 4 through 14 uses seven Old Testament passages to show the superiority of Jesus. And that's not to lower the angels, but to lift up the sun. The angels are to worship him, for he made them. In Hebrews, we're shown the antidote to the drift. It's to look to Christ. God has spoken through his son. Now, if you've got your Bible in front of you, please just look with me at chapter 2, verse 1. We read there, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. What's your attention Fixed on. We must pay the most careful attention to the bank balance? No, to our salvation in Christ. We must pay most careful attention to the progress of our children? No, to the salvation that we have in Christ. Uh, to be clear, as um, Michael Kruger puts it, he says, someone who is truly saved, who is truly a Christian, of course, cannot ultimately lose their salvation, although they may have periods of disobedience or backsliding. However, we're given this warning about the drift, 
to spur us on and make us examine ourselves. There's a danger that we may think that we are believers, but end up proving our but end up proving by our estrangement from Jesus that we never really knew God. In this sense, Hebrews has got to be the most wonderful of encouragements, doesn't it? An encouragement to stop and and look up, to observe where we're at and fix our eyes on Jesus to pay careful attention to what we've heard and to hear it again and and again, Jesus is entirely sufficient. All of life is to centre around him and where to walk in obedience to him. Uh, We're in that first bit of chapter two. Sometimes you come across people, don't you, um, who say something like, the God of the Old Testament is judgy. And the God of the New Testament is somehow different. Of course, that's not, it's not a properly thought out idea, but in chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, you notice our preacher's argument. You see this, I'll read. For since the message that was spoken through angels was binding, and this is reference to the old covenant, mediated through angels. You read Deuteronomy 33. And we read on, and, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. If that be the case, the old covenant, verse 3, how shall we escape if we ignore so great our salvation? And the point is obvious, isn't it, that if we reject the message of Jesus, we too will be held accountable. If if that was the case, when God spoke in the past through the prophets, it must be the case in these last days as he's spoken by his son. And we read on the, the evidence for this salvation. It's reliable, isn't it? It shouldn't be rejected from verse 3. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord himself, Jesus, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And verse 4, God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So a salvation that was announced by Jesus, the Lord, the Son himself, confirmed by the witnesses and validated by God himself through those miraculous signs. And so beware of the drift. Um. Eugene Peterson uh, was observing the drift in the local church that he was a part of. And he was advised, well, you need to start another building project. That'll get them engaged again. People need a project, you know? Thankfully, he didn't do that. What we need is what Hebrews does. Be pointed back to Jesus. So perhaps you've been drifting, and there's all kinds of reasons, aren't there? Uh, You're lazy. And I happen to know many of you are lazy. Uh, I struggle with laziness too. Uh, Or you're busy. And I happen to know that many of you are busy. 
or at some sin that you haven't brought to the Lord. Or you just haven't thought about it at all until now. You have not been paying attention. We're going to finish by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And if you have been drifting, this is a great opportunity to fix your eyes on Jesus again, to repent. God, I'm sorry for the drift. Forgive me, I pray. Thank you for Jesus and the purification of my sin. Help me live all of life with you at the centre. That's the prayer. Now, can I say, if you're someone who has put your trust in Jesus, uh, that on the cross he provided purification for your sin, and for you now all of life centres around him, join us uh, for this meal in miniature. Um, Can I say, though, if you haven't yet handed your life to Christ, please um, watch and observe, uh, and we'll respect you for that. But know that this invitation is for you. Uh, And if you'd like uh, to find out more, I'd really love to chat to you personally. Keep coming uh, Sunday after Sunday. But how, how about we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we just want to pause now and we pray that you would forgive us for the drift. Lord, we're conscious that it is easy in this life to take our eyes off Jesus and to go back to old ways, perhaps, uh, or to feel or think as though he's not enough and to drift somewhere else. Lord, forgive us for this temptation. Forgive us for the drift. Guard us against the drift, we pray, and help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Lord God, we pray that you would help us to know that Jesus is well and truly sufficient, that he is the supreme son And Lord, we pray that as we look at Hebrews, you would help us understand more and and more of how big and mighty and wonderful our King is. And Lord, just now we want to recognise how marvellous it is that the one through whom you made the universe the one who is the radiance of your glory and your exact representation, the one who is sustaining all things, the one who is giving us each breath we take, that he entered our mess and willingly, lovingly, made the way for our sin to be purified. Lord, we thank you for Jesus and the blood, his blood shed on that cross. We thank and praise you that he paid the penalty that we deserve and that by his wounds we are healed. 
And Lord, we thank you for the sufficiency of his sacrifice. We thank you that it doesn't have to happen again and again like it did with the old sacrificial system, but that it's done. And he sat down, finished. Lord, we praise you for our King Jesus. And we pray that as we reflect on our sin now, that you would help us leave here with eyes fixed on him. We pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen.